Okay, we're jumping in today. We're continuing our series in Advent, and we're in Psalm 85. So if you have a Bible and you want to go to Psalm 85, you can. The text will also be behind me on the screen. We'll read Psalm 85, 1 to 2, and then we'll jump to verse 8 and finish the chapter from there. Psalm 85. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. Verse 8, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way, the way for his steps. What is salvation? That word in verse 9, salvation. I baptized a really sweet woman one time here at Highland. She came up to the office during the week, and she was, she was kind of in a panic because she had been doing some Bible study, which is a dangerous thing, and she had convinced herself her soul was in trouble. And so she could hardly wait for me to, to ask those simple questions about Jesus. She could hardly wait for me to get them out of my mouth before she answered them and was pushing me towards the baptistry, right? She was, she was ready to get in here and get it done. So we come back here to the baptistry, and I'll never forget, I, I asked her, do you believe Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God? I, I baptize her, and as I bring her up out of the water, she just breathes this deep sigh of relief, hugs my neck, just thank you, thank you. What is salvation? Uh, have you ever played one of those word association games where I say one word and you tell me what word comes to mind for you or what picture comes to mind for you. Well, when I hear the word salvation, I inevitably think of the word sand, sand, which is a, which is a really odd association. I think it's because in college we read this book called Salvation on Sand Mountain. Has anybody read that book, Salvation on Sand Mountain? Yeah, we got one back there. Salvation on Sand Mountain is this peculiar story about this journalist who goes deep into Appalachia to churches where they handle snakes in church. And by handling snakes, I mean they take out venomous snakes during church and they they pass them around like we do communion trays. Okay. And uh, we've been thinking about how to jazz up our worship in here and we... (laughs) No, so far we're not convinced snakes are the way. Maybe puppies. I think we could get on board with puppies, not snakes. So um, for the record, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea to handle snakes. And the reason they do that is because of a, an odd and really kind of problematic passage at the end of the Gospel of Mark. We can talk about that some other time. What's interesting about the story is the way that snake handling functions to Mark who is saved and who's not saved. And this is how it works. If you handle a venomous snake and you don't get bit, apparently you have salvation. If you do get bit, apparently you don't. So is that what salvation is? You know, is salvation something you don't have one moment and then do have 
another. So you've, you've heard enough of my sermons to know that if I ask a question like that, the answer is probably no, right? I'm kind of leading you there. But in this case, not exactly, because there is a bit of that there. You know, I, I understand why that woman came out of the waters of the baptistry so relieved. Because in a moment, just like that, her sins had been washed away. She'd been made white as snow and it happened just like that. And that shows up here in our psalm today at the beginning of the psalm. You forgave the iniquity of your people, God. You covered all their sins. Paul says in Ephesians 1, it's baptismal imagery, that when we believed, we are marked with a seal. The seal is the Holy Spirit, the gospel of our salvation. And that that happens in a moment, just like that. So that's one of the ways salvation is described in the Bible, something you don't have and then you do have. But that leads to an obvious question. If salvation is something I don't have and then do have, can I suddenly not have it anymore, right? Can I lose my salvation? Has anybody ever wondered that before? For example, uh, you might remember um, Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? Um, the reason I'm telling Zacchaeus' story here is because the Bible is just not as concerned with that question about losing your salvation as we are. The Bible's just not as concerned with that. And the, primarily the reason is the Bible doesn't think about salvation as a really static thing for the most part. Okay, so, so you remember Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And uh, Zacchaeus is a bad wee little man. He's a tax collector. The Bible puts tax collectors and sinners in the same sentence all the time. And the reason is tax collectors rob people. They, they steal from people. So he's a bad dude. So Zacchaeus, the wee little man, climbs into a what? Sycamore tree to see what he can see. And he sees Jesus coming his way, the Savior of the world. And so Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And I've always wondered how Zacchaeus' wife felt about that. <laughs> you invited somebody over? You invited Jesus over? And he's like, no, honest, Jesus did it. Okay. But he comes over to Zacchaeus' house. They're having this conversation. Over the course of the conversation, Zacchaeus decides he is going to pay back everybody he has ever stolen from. And he's going to pay them back with interest. And do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus doesn't say, oh, that's great, Zacchaeus. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come, like it's, it's moving and it arrived here. So what did he mean by that? Did he mean that Zacchaeus was going to go to heaven when he died? Did he mean that Zacchaeus' sins had been forgiven? Did Zacchaeus possess something he did not possess just a moment before that? Maybe so. I'm not sure that's exactly what he means. I don't think so. So what is this salvation that just sprouts up in this wee little house? Because I assume a wee little man has a wee little house. Okay, this is where our text for today is really helpful. So if you've got your Bible open to Psalm 85, look at it here, or it'll be on the screen behind me, some of the passages from it. Because like I've said, the Bible thinks about salvation in, kind of, in, in actually several ways. And Psalm 85 is a really helpful text because it offers a different and, and maybe a more helpful way to think about our daily salvation. The psalmist says that salvation is a 
way. It is the way for his steps, God's steps. So salvation is a path that God is traveling down. And that path is marked by certain signposts. So look at verse 10. Love and faithfulness meet together along the path. Righteousness and peace lean over the path and they kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth. Righteousness looks down from heaven on this path. So as I've tried to imagine this, the, the best I can come up with is something like a cross between the Wizard of Oz and Johnny Appleseed. So you remember the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy and her friends are traveling down a yellow brick road. And you can see that road just going over the hills, the rolling hills, off into the distance, and they're, they're traveling the yellow brick road. Okay, in this passage, something like that is happening. Salvation is the way for his steps, God's step. It's, it's the yellow brick road that God is traveling along. And he's not traveling along that road in heaven. He's traveling along that road here on earth. Look at verse 9. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land, often God's land, in our land. Our land will yield its harvest. So in this psalm, salvation is a path here on earth that God is traveling down. And along that path, as he goes, God is scattering seed. And so his character, God's very essence, is growing along the path. So we've got love and faithfulness and righteousness and peace on this side, just lining God's path of salvation. They're functioning like signposts on the salvation highway. So salvation here is not something I don't have and then do have. Salvation is a way or the way. So when I say the way, what comes to mind? So now we're playing that word association game again. When I say the way, I hope you think of Jesus, right? When John the Baptist comes to prepare the what for Jesus? the way he comes preaching in the desert and baptizing. Look at Mark 1 and 2. It's behind me. I will send my messenger ahead of you talking about John the Baptist who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And when Saul in Acts 9, who becomes Paul, before he's Paul, he's, he's Saul. And as he's traveling along in Acts 9, he's looking for Christians to kill, but he's actually not looking for Christians, and he's actually not looking for those who've been saved. He's looking for what? Who? Any who belonged to the way, right? Any who belonged to the way. One of the things I admire really deeply about other faiths is the way that they think about salvation, for instance, our Muslim friends, our Jewish friends, think about salvation as a journey. And that is because pilgrimage is built into the DNA of faith. Everybody's expected to, to make a journey to some holy place. Mormons go on mission, right? One of the great, great, great gifts of Christian faith is that we are saved in a moment. You know, we are cleansed from our sins, like that woman in the baptistry. But at the same time, what happens to us in a moment in that baptistry can also make us kind of stuck in place where we, where we stop moving towards something, where there's no real goal because when we, we die, we go to heaven and that journey is taken care of, right? It's not something we have to 
kind of manage ourselves. But this psalm here, Psalm 85, in the language of the way that is peppered throughout Scripture, those are really helpful reminders that maybe, maybe salvation is not something I just choose once, but it's something I choose every day. The salvation is like facing a fork in the road and choosing every day, hour by hour, minute by minute, to take the path that God is traveling down. And the way you know you've taken the right path is not whether you get bit by a snake or not. And it's not even if you can see God in front of you. Sometimes he'll be so far down the path you can't even catch a glimpse of him. So the way you know you're traveling in the way of salvation is whether or not you see the right signposts. Do you see love and faithfulness and righteousness and peace along the way you're traveling? And if not, turn around. In terms of our daily discipleship, this is a much better question, or it leads to a much better question to ask ourselves than, can I lose my salvation? That's a, that's a great question to think about in the classroom, but it's, it's really not a helpful question for you as you're driving. It's not really a helpful question for you as you're, you're working at your job. Right? It's not really a helpful question as you're raising your kids. A much better question than, can I lose my salvation, is, am I still traveling in the way of salvation? Am I traveling in the right way? Because remember, Jesus does not ask his first disciples, the first apostles he calls, to believe in him or to trust in him. He says, come, follow me. Follow me. Okay, confession. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't. And I'll, I'll admit this to you. Sometimes I get hangry. Do you know what hangry is? Anybody know what that is? Lindsay can tell you all about it. Hangry is when I'm hungry and it makes me angry. Right? And so I will, I will come home from work and I'm, I'm hungry and I will find myself like in an out-of-body experience. I can sense I'm about to say something I shouldn't say. Right? Lindsay's had a long day raising the kids, but I come home and I'm hungry and I feel myself about to say something I shouldn't say like, have you washed my underwear because I'm running low, right? And she's like looking at these kids she's been raising in this house, you know, she got dinner on the table and she's like, you have the audacity to ask me about that right at this moment, right? When I ask her that, it does not lead to more love in the house. There's not more peace there. You follow? You follow? Okay. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a comical example, but I, I know I'm not traveling the right way because I'm not seeing the right signposts. You follow? So, you know, more serious examples of this, like I think about pornographic addiction or infidelity. You know, we think those things are bad because what they do to your mind, what they do to your family, and that's all true. That's why, you know, those things are, are bad, I guess you could say. But the reason those things are destructive right, is not because of what they do to your family, or what they do to your mind. The reason they're destructive is because they are not the way of salvation. And the reason you know that is because the signpost for faithfulness disappeared a long time ago. We apparently missed that exit. You follow? Or I think about abuse and harassment, like we talked about a few weeks ago, abuse that's happening in the home, okay? How do we know that's not the right way? Well, it's not just that nobody likes it, right? It's that it's not producing peace. 
It's not producing love. That's how you know it's not the right way to be traveling. It's not the way of salvation. So you might be thinking, now, Eric, are you saying that if I've done some of those things that I can't be forgiven or any other number of things? Are you saying that I'm kind of outside the bounds of God's grace, that I can't be saved, that his grace is insufficient? I'd say, no, not at all. Like this psalmist knows the only person who can save us is God. That's whom salvation comes from. But this psalm is really wanting you to ask a much better question than that, because that one's ultimately not that helpful. The question to ask is not, can I not be saved? The question to ask is, am I choosing the way of God's salvation? Am I walking in that way or not? Jesus said in John 14 that he is the way and the truth and the life. Eugene Peterson says that Jesus as the truth gets a lot more attention than Jesus as the way. He's probably right. Because when you're baptized, what we ask you is the question of Jesus as truth. Do you believe, which is a truth statement, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Right? But really, much more important than that question is that question you're going to ask yourself daily. I believe that once. Am I living as though that's true? Am I following in the Jesus way. You know, I think that's what Zacchaeus did. You know, he wasn't baptized at that moment. I think that he just saw something about Jesus that he hadn't seen before in anybody else. And so it, he decided, you know, maybe, maybe that something is worth emulating. Or you might think about it like this. Maybe God on that day exited the superhighway of salvation and decided to exit that ramp and take a spin by Zacchaeus' house. And so Zacchaeus looks out the window as Jesus is in his home and suddenly outside his door, he sees a way that has never been there before. He sees this path forward that he never thought imaginable. He thought all the years of robbing and wrong he'd been doing, that the traveling forward was just not possible. He was stuck in place. So he looks out his window and he sees this way ahead that had never been there before. He didn't become perfect in that moment. He just decided to walk out the door and step onto the way. Just, just start traveling down the right path. And Jesus sees that and says, ah, Salvation has just come to this house. I've seen that happen here. There's a young man here, really, really great. He's been struggling with addiction for years, but two years ago he started the 12-step program. 12 step. He's up to step nine. He's doing really, really great. He comes by my office all the time. He's always asking me what books he should be reading about faith and faithfulness and what that looks like. And he's making these really great friends at Highlands. So all this love is just kind of blossoming in his life. And he's making peace with everybody he wronged during his addiction. He's like calling them. That's where he's at in the process. So he's been telling me about calling these people that he hurt and he's, he's making peace with those people. And it's just so obvious as I look at him, I could see the right signposts, right? All of a sudden, where there wasn't before, there's love, and there's peace, and there's faithfulness, and righteousness. And seeing him travel that way so well, 
Well, it makes me want to go with him. It makes me want to travel behind him. Apparently he knows where he's going. So my challenge to you as we, as we wait on the return of Jesus, as we celebrate his arrival so long ago in the manger at Christmas time, as we live between those two advents, my, my hope for you is that you not stand still. But like the shepherds, you will see the star in the sky and actually get up and go after it. Because you could all see it this morning. You could see it shining brightly out there. The question is not whether you see it. The question is whether you actually get up and move towards it. Because what you'll find beneath its light is the Son of God and salvation. And so what I hope is that you'll be saved not just today, but tomorrow and the next day. Salvation is the way for his steps. If you haven't taken the first step on that journey, if you want to be baptized today, we'd love to do that with you. It'd be a perfect time. I'd be down here up front. I'd love to receive you in that. If you'd like, if you'd like prayers as you're traveling along your way, maybe you're encountering, encountering some roadblocks, some difficulties, we've got elders in the back who'd love to receive you in prayer. Let me invite you to come forward or, or go back there as we stand and sing together. Salvation belongs to our God.